because you haven't even thought about your life and what it represents. Like, like how are you so oblivious to actually who you are in your history? And that's so sad. That's sad. I don't even understand how to how else to say it. It's sad. Like Utah and growing up in Utah in the bubble, it can rob you of so much self-identity because of the bubble and the just the lack of diversity that's within it. And so if you don't try to find it yourself, you ain't gonna find it. That was Monica Clifton, and this is the Mixed Gen Podcast. The Mixed Gen Podcast, because the world is mixing. All right, welcome to the Mixed Gen Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Clifton. This is a Mixed Gen Podcast? Yeah, this is a Mixed Gen. Oh, it's mixed. oh okay. Yeah, so... You're putting guess, it on the thing thing? Yeah, it's on oh. the thing thing. <laughs> so, welcome. I guess our, our guest tonight did not know that she was on the <laughs> Mixed Gen Podcast. We what do you think this was for? I thought we were just doing a podcast for kicks and gigs. Just a random podcast for fun? Yeah, why not? Yo, okay, well... <laughs> Welcome to the Mixed Gen Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Clifton. Shout out to Kimberly Ming doing her thing. Um, in this episode, I'm interviewing my sister, Monica Clifton. You said that with an accent? Monica. Well, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I, Monica. I have a hard time talking like a gringo these days. It's fine. It's, you know, I understand. Like my Spanish, my Spanish has improved. My Spanish is amazing since. I expect it to be. Yeah. yeah. So. It's okay. So, Throw some flavor on it, okay? So, so yeah, shout out to Cristina Del Hoyo for helping me with my Spanish, <laughs> being my wifey and everything. Um, it's done wonders. So, um, yeah. So, Monica, um, we're here in Mesquite, Nevada. We're at our parents' house. Um, there's nothing to do in Mesquite, especially during, especially during a pandemic. Yeah, the only thing you do is go to the casino. So no casinos open until Thursday. So there's nothing to do. But you don't live in Mesquite. You actually live in Las Vegas. Viva. Yeah. Viva Las Vegas. That's <laughs> what, home. What are you talking about? All right. So, <laughs> so yeah. So, Monica, how long have you been living in Vegas? Um, I moved there in August of 2017, 18. 2017, so almost three years, coming up on three years. Cool. And my parents moved down to Mesquite around the same time. Yeah, about September, October of 2017, yep. All right, cool. So Monica works at the airport, and um, right now during the pandemic, the airport has been empty. So... Yo, it's it's like a zombie movie. Like, you hear the announcement, it's like, protect yourself from the pandemic, wash your hands and stay six feet away. And there's nobody there to listen to it. It's wild. Like you just, there's nothing around and you just, it's like a movie. It's weird. It's weird. Yeah. Yeah. The strip, I drove down the strip. Um, I drove down the strip probably a week ago 
And it was so weird. It was like everybody was on bikes and running, but there was no cars. Like it was, it was weird. It was really weird. Shoot, man, that sounds like fun to me. I know. I want to ride my bike, but I don't have a bike. So ride your bike down the strip. Yeah. Yeah, man. I'm out here visiting my parents, so I figured it'd be a great time to talk about your mixed experience as my sister. So we have very different um, experiences. Very as- similar, but vastly different. Yeah, it's weird. It's weird like that, huh? <laughs> yeah. When I listened to your podcast, uh, what was it, like a few months ago that you did, um, I was like, wow. Like, it really dawned on me how different our experiences are. And I think it is because we are, di- like, we're three and a half years apart, right? And, bro, you don't look mixed. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, yeah, we actually had this conversation yesterday. <laughs> we were talking about hair, you know, yeah. with our parents, you know, and, and, you know, we were like, I can't remember how it started, but you're like, Monica had, or the, wow. our brother, our brother had the best hair. Yeah. And I was like, I I had that good hair, you know? Nah, bro. I have the good hair. Rob had great hair. He had almost like waves and yeah, but we never see him because he bald, so that sucks for him. Yeah, but my argument is that I had the best hair because my hair was black. You know, his hair was like like my dad's. Okay, but I got the best of both worlds. So. It was easier to take care of. Bruh, no. Let's talk about mom taking care of my hair. Yeah, okay, okay. <gasps> Remember I was like looking like a little boy in most of my years because I told her to cut it because I couldn't deal with her brushing my hair. She didn't have YouTube. She didn't have all these luxuries that mixed parents have now right and she brushed my hair like a white girl i'll be screaming you don't remember me screaming bloody mary oh man i do remember you waking up (laughs) i do remember you waking up and dad be like don king (laughs) you're like like, every saturday every like saturday sunday morning like don king in my giant t-shirt i remember that walking into the kitchen and don king y'all would go in on me Man, I forgot about that. Man. Yeah, but we was all looking a mess, man. Oh, uh, we you know, mixed kids nowadays, they are on point. Like their parents, they know what to do with their hair, they know what like how to dress them, and they're just more aware of who they are. But us in the nineties, like <laughs> I look back at pictures, we was looking a whole mess, okay. No man, I like I just wanted to have long hair, so I just had my afro. But now I look at pictures. I thought I was cool. But, like, now I look at pictures. I'm like, man, big old afro. It's like, (laughs) dang, man. But I did look good when we went to Jaquetta. um, Jaquetta's shop. Around the corner. Jaquetta. Jaquetta. Around the corner, right? So, um, in Utah, like, to get our hair done, um, we, like, I imagine we would probably would have had to go to Salt Lake if it weren't for Chiquetta and Hair Haven in Riverdale. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that shop is still around, but shout out. I think it is. Yeah. I think it is. Same place. I but, think so. But yeah, man, we get it. Get some corn rolls. She'd be doing like crazy designs and it wouldn't be super expensive. I, I think it was like thirty five dollars yep. like the first time. And then her prices went up over time. But that's like, when mom stopped cutting my hair. Yeah. I I mean, that's when I felt really like confident, you know, yeah. was when I could go there and get my hair braided. Like back then, cornrows were like in, in the style. Everything. Cornrows and 
And your throwback jersey. <laughs> Oversized, everything. Yeah, I had the beads on the end with the diamonds in them. With the you sure diamonds. did. <laughs> yeah, it was super fun. Um, but yeah, I remember the first couple of times you got, you had your hair, like you had uh, individuals and, mm-hmm. and uh, all that. How did that feel to get your hair done that way? Oh man, I felt like a million bucks, you know? Um, Cause I actually had somebody that knew how to do my hair and I could have my hair out. Well, not necessarily out, but you, you know, there was in braids, but that was the first time that like, I felt like I was like black. You know what I mean? Like, uh, because before I put a relaxer in my hair, I didn't know what to do with my curls. I mean, I I just barely went natural, what, 2012, 2013 probably, and that's when I started embracing my natural curl. And um, so that before then, Shaquetta was the only time that I really embraced what my natural hair looked like. So that was kind of later on, because for me that was like, end of junior high high school so i was probably All like high school she did your hair yeah yeah um so for you being that like that's the first time you're really feeling feeling black um how did how do you identify and when did you figure out like your identity for um, yourself i think that's a really tough question for me um but i think i started like i always knew i was different right uh, elementary school, you know, some people would say some off the wall things. Um, but I never really like embraced it or really cared about it until I was a lot older. So, um, I would probably say late junior high, maybe ninth, ninth grade. Um, you know, I, I started to, to question some things like, you know, I grew up, around a lot of uh, white people, of course, I'm in Utah, <laughs> and playing sports. Um, I was not popular on my team, my Lady Laker team, right? Oh, yeah, <laughs> your Lady Lakers. <laughs> my Lady Laker team, I was not popular on that team, right? Um, it took a big change for me to, and it sucked because I went to I went to high school, or I was supposed to go to high school and junior high with those kids that I played on that team with, and I switched teams, um, and it seemed like that team was more accepting. And I I, I really I don't want to throw out there that it was a hundred percent race, but I started to question things like, do they not like me because of my race, or do they treat me that way because of my race, or is it? Is it something else? But I that never dawned on me until later, like probably five years after the fact. Like, oh, is, do they? Because that neighborhood that all those kids are from, we know that it's it's a richer white South Ogden, super white area, Yo, Republican, <laughs> yeah, conservative, yes, Mormon, Mormon, yeah. And I went to a team that was, I think more liberal there was a different mix of kids there was some hispanics and different things like that but before it was two brazilians and a black girl yeah (laughs) yeah yo yeah man i yeah i remember those times because yeah like everybody on your team was white and but that's one thing about soccer in in the u.s like it's super elitist yeah nobody can can afford to pay the fees and all that if you're not got some money yeah 
So it was like hard for you to build relationships with those girls and that were on your team. Like you could be friendly with them, but like Yeah. I, I invited to sleepovers and all that is Right. If I if I could say that I I can't say that I'm actually friends, legit friends with anyone on that team. Anyone. Yeah. I might the you know, Facebook associates, but that's about it. So how do you identify? I identify as mixed. Um, Someone asked me this the other day, and I told them I mostly identify as black. Because if somebody on the street looks at me, they're not going to say, hey, there's a white girl. They're more than inclined to say, hey, there's a black girl. And I feel like me internally, like I understand and and I internalize the struggle of black people. So I guess I would say that I identify as... Mixed. <laughs> yeah. If that mm. makes any sense at yeah. all. Yeah, I mean, well well that's one thing that's one thing in my journey that I've that I've grown to understand is that, you know, that's the whole reason that's one of the reasons why we have these conversations is that sometimes you're racially ambiguous or that and it's not about having to choose one or the other it's not about having to fit in a box yeah I, I definitely don't fit in a box if i have the option to select more than one i'm picking black and caucasian i'm okay with that you do that though like I for do real do that. On the box. if it said if it says select all that apply yeah. i will do it if it doesn't say select all that apply i'll just choose black i've never done that i've never no? I've never i've never selected caucasian and i'm almost like I almost get like really pissed when I have to fill something like that out. Do you? Yeah. Oh, I, yeah. I mean, I don't really necessarily get pissed. Like I feel like, you know, they're just trying to figure out like who's actually like I didn't probably most for school. Like they're trying to figure out who, what demographics are attending this college, you know, whatever. I don't, I don't care. Well, it, I don't care. For me, for me, it just reminds me that I'm a part of this like social construct that is about, race and ethnicity that really really cares about it it's like when i had this conversation with christina my wife she mentioned that in spain like she's never been asked that you like nobody ever asks you what ethnicity you are or anything like that i know that's because in america we're like considered this like melting pot and like we have all these different cultures infused in into this but yo, like melting pot. That's hilarious. Yeah, yeah, because because we're still we're still segregated in a lot of ways. Like it, like it, it upsets me when I when I really when I see that, and then it, it makes me think about how how mixed we are. Like just as a society, how many how many slave masters raped? Yeah, slaves. Like it, like I I think about that shit. You know when when I'm asked that question, right? So it pisses me off. Because, but it's I'm used to it because that's what America is. That's that's what we've always done. We've always checked a box, and we've always been whatever we check, right? And so, so you talked about like the moments that you re- you realize you were different, like being on that soccer team and like feeling like you didn't really fit in, wondering if the girls like liked you stuff like that um what other what other things in your life were going on that kind of helped you recognize that you are mixed 
when I moved to Ben Lomond. So um, I transferred schools um, pretty much away from almost pretty much to play soccer um, because I didn't want to play soccer with those girls that I grew up with. And that's who I was going to go to high school with. And me changing schools changed everything. Um, I, I went from, uh, what would you say Bonneville is 80% white, man, 85, 90. Yo. Yeah. Mo- yeah. I mean, <laughs> nowadays, nowadays is different, but it's probably become then more it diverse. was probably 90% white. Yeah. It's right? def- super white, just super white. Just shoot, man. I mean, when I was going there, I remember it being like 30 of us, you know, kids <laughs> of color. We had our own little hall like area. <laughs> But yeah, like, uh, <laughs> like I totally, I totally agree with you. Like not going to Bonneville, um, as your brother, like I said, that, that was the best thing that, that you could have done was like not go, was to transfer to Ben Loman. Cause at Ben Loman, you were able to play like, yo, my sister's dope. She, she played soccer, which was her main thing was she was the goalkeeper, but she also played softball, basketball. She even wrestled a little. No, <laughs> she didn't wrestle. No, you you tainted me from that in the backyard on the tramp. And she she's a Ben Loman legend as well. She's like the she was a female athlete of the of the year. Female athlete of the year. Um, yeah, it it totally changed my perspective. Um, I was accepted. So Ben Loman was, I think it was at that time fifty percent Hispanic, and then whatever else. So it was, there was a lot of minorities, uh, within that school. And so it was, we, I was a lot more accepted. Like it was, I remember maybe three weeks of school where I really didn't have a friend and then softball started and I was kicking it with everybody. Like, and it wasn't a clicky school. Like, so white kids hung out with everybody, black kids, hung out with everybody. Mexicans hung out with everybody, you know. We had our little gang issue, you know, the red team and the blue team, whatever. But it was a melting pot. We all got a, like, it was a true melting pot. Like, I had never seen it. I remember my first or second day at lunch, and I was used, I'm so used to cliques, like the athletes all hanging out together or, you know, the the popular group or whatever. And I just remember lunch, like people was going from table to table and just like talking and kicking it. And I was like, oh, this is how this school is. And yeah, it totally changed my life. Like um, I started to understand more about race. I started understanding more about uh, Hispanic culture, um, everything. Yeah. Actually, when your senior year, I can't remember, I came back um, from my mission yeah, and I was a substitute teacher at your school for a little bit. You know, a couple of days I'd get a job there to sub. And yo, Mo was like the queen of the school, um, and running stuff like that would not have been possible at Ben Lo- at oh, Bonneville. No, no, Bonneville. Bonneville's like the stereotypical big like white high school, mm-hmm. and Ben Loman. Yeah, like you're saying, was like this totally different shift. It's like where you know, a woman of color could be a leader in the school. Yes. That was not possible at, at Bonneville. Not Absolutely at all. Absolutely not. They had, Bonneville has so many stereotypes. Like I would talk to old friends from Bonneville right after I transferred and they'd be like, have you seen anyone get stabbed yet? And it's like, what? The whole perception of that environment, their neighborhood or that environment um, that they had on our school, uh, on Ben Loman was like, it was unreal. It was 
crazy. And then, so of course, you know, Marissa, like, um, she's a black, a half black girl. Yo, and Marissa grew up around the corner from us. Around right, the corner. In Riverdale. And that was like the only other black family that I yeah, knew. Yeah, so they were just like us, you know, dad black, um, mom white, you know, they uh, were around the corner. So she was my best friend um, forever. And she went to Bonneville still. Uh, went through the, all all those struggles, and she ended up being more friends with my my Ben Loman friends. Like she would come hang out with my Ben Loman friends and kick it with us. Like she didn't really kick it with Bonneville people at all. So yeah, one of my best moves in life was going to Ben Loman. Yeah, yeah. But so you're at you're at Ben Loman High School. You you were told that it's going to be a dangerous place. You get there and you're like, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Living your best life. Living your best life in high school. And you're playing basketball games. You're playing sports, all the sports. And you go on the road to these like small, small ass podunk Utah towns. Yeah, because we were a smaller smaller school because there's two schools in inner city Ogden. So it wasn't a big school. So we went to those small towns and yeah. Yeah, what would happen like <laughs> I remember it was like one this like one story. I wasn't there, but I remember you telling me like you're shooting a free throw and the N word gets thrown out, roll by a grown man. I'm dribbling. I remember he <laughs> I got fouled a lot that game. And you know, everybody got their like free throw routine. Right, that they do every single time, and so mine was like uh, a flick of the ball, three dribbles, so boom, boom, boom. Then I look at form my shot, right, and he was like just yelling at me, heckling me like crazy. Like he would be like yelling at the same time I'd bounce the ball, and then when I'd stop, he would just yell the n word, and I was like. I, I was shocked, you know, I was like, what? This grown man just yelling racial slurs at a high school girl. Wh- what? Right? And I had, you know, we had a lot of Hispanics on our team, and they're getting racial slurs thrown at them. It was just... So, so like, what did, what did the coach, what did your coach do... What did the referees do? That's the thing. They didn't do nothing. It was like we just finished playing the game. We played the game and it was over. And we talked about it on the bus. Like, what happened? Like, and I don't remember if there was a parent or somebody talked about, like, we should have just left the game, right? Mm. Um, But it was just, I think that was one of, that might have been the first time that I really, like, looked into the eyes of a person and thought, really, how could you do that? You know what I mean? Um, because I feel like our neighborhood and, like, our grow our, our growing up area really was kind of accepting of us. Um, like, we grew up in the church, in the Mormon church, um, and I feel like from the older ladies down... You know, they freaking loved us. Like, I felt like a celebrity when I went to church, low-key, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and they were very accepting of us. Um, and so I don't feel like within that we really had 
to deal with that kind of racism. Um, and so for me getting out to Grantsville, Utah, go ahead, Grantsville, Utah. Get him. Uh, we have to go to some podunk Farmerville, and I have to get called the N-word at a free throw line because by a grown man. Like, I will never forget what that man looks like ever in my life. If I saw him down the street, I would be like, yo, that's a dude. Yo, and he's probably done it more than once. More than once. And to more to a bunch of people, and he never is going to remember what they look like. But you have to deal with that trauma and see what he looks like yeah. all the time. In all your the mind. time. Yeah. Like, and that would happen to, like, our football team. They would, like, shake the bus. Like, I heard about a lot of crazy things that would happen. And so I was never allowed to go to watch football games or anything at Grantsville yeah. because of that. Well, there's a lot of towns like that in, in Utah. In Utah, yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, I mean, when I was in high school, I had a friend that, you know, was heckled at a game. He was playing good. And, you know, they started heckling him and, you know, calling the N-word and stuff. And, yeah. You know, so I was like, it's a, it's it's crazy because, um, sports are, sports is something that's supposed to like unify unify people, and it ends up being like in those situations, and it's like a team sport, but then you end up feeling alone because, you like, I I think that's one thing about like the racism, is that, not always somebody steps in and like has your back. Yeah. My coach didn't have our back. Right. She didn't know what to do. Yeah. But she like loved you. She cared about you. Yeah. But probably. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a crazy. That's a crazy thing. So like moments like those like make you help you helped you in your progression is like really understanding who you were. and. Yeah. Unfortunately, I think a lot of negative things that have happened to me or my community has helped shape me. Um, like we were talking earlier and I think that really my breaking out point was, um, when Trayvon Martin got killed. 2012. Yeah. So that's when I really started, um, to investigate and think about who I am, um, and what my people have gone through. Um, I don't think growing up, our dad really like focused on that with me. And I think he did that more, more so with you. Um, but I was always playing sports and doing whatever, you know, and you were home a lot more and probably being the darker complected person that you are, he felt like he needed to, to really, um, really educate you on that. Um, but I don't, I don't remember being young, um, and having those discussions with, either of our parents. Um, and so I think that you kind of, um, you and your progression has kind of guided me into saying, you know what, I need to like learn more about who I am and, and what I stand for and, um, what my ancestors have gone through all of that. I think that you've kind of like, you might not know this, but like, I've been following your lead since beginning. Right. Um, so when that injustice happened with uh, Trayvon Martin, it started to make me think. And, you know, when I started, social media was just like getting big then, you know. Um, so I was on Facebook, you know, posting about things and 
um, I would just see other people's posts, like, making excuses for the things. And I'm like, I don't feel right about this, right? And so I think that's kind of the where I went to start investigating and start to understand who I am and my people. That's something that a lot of, especially minorities in Utah that have grown up in Utah, don't do. Um, I've noticed that there's a couple, maybe even mixed um, or or maybe even full black, but just grown up in Utah. Because the bubble is so like thick and weird and crazy that they're like, I don't want to say whitewash, but I can't think of another word right now. They're whitewashed. So I see them post like crazy things. And it's like, do you even understand who you are? And like that totally breaks my heart because they don't even have the want or the desire to investigate who they are and understand the struggles that their ancestors have gone through. Uh, We got people (laughs) being kneeled on and murdered we got people running and running going on a jog being murdered we got people sitting in their house being murdered and I don't even want to say of course it's black people but like these are people and people aren't realizing that these are people these are lives like how is a black life second to anyone else how is it second to property how is it second to of burning building. All the buildings can burn for all I care. Bruh, if it was you, we going down. All the buildings are going down, okay? I don't care. So, like, one of the biggest things that, like, made me get off of social media, because social media's been hard. It's been hard right now. Like, I'm hurt. I'm pissed. I feel like this nation is broken. And the lack of empathy that white America has for us is disgusting. So the, there's only like one post that made me like, I got to put my phone down for at least like five hours because I can't deal with this. And it was a half black girl from Utah talking about the riots and talking about all of that. So how despicable and disgusting and terrible it is, right? I go to her page, she ain't say nothing about no unarmed black man getting murdered. Didn't say nothing about George. So what matters to you most? Property? Because you haven't even thought about your life and what it represents. Like, like how are you so oblivious to actually who you are in your history? And that's so sad. That's sad. I don't even understand how to how else to say it. It's sad. Like Utah and growing up in Utah in the bubble, it can rob you of so much self-identity because of the bubble and the just the lack of diversity that's within it. And so if you don't try to find it yourself, you ain't going to find it. The bubble is not going to teach you about anything other than you know, the colonizers and their perspective on absolutely everything, especially at, especially at church. Like at church, we didn't talk about black folks. Like it's not mentioned at all. Oh no. They talked about them when they would help the pioneers. They would have a couple people 
couple of them, they were great people, and they helped the pioneers get across, but they wasn't welcome in the church, but they still stuck around. Yeah, but they also don't talk about how Mormons had slaves when they came to Utah. That part. Yeah. They were slaves, but that's how they talk about them. <laughs> Yo, yeah, no, they were helping them around. <laughs> helping push the wagons. <laughs> yeah. That's messed up. I know, man. So... I actually want to go back to when you're checking your box, when you're checking your boxes. Okay. After everything you just said, why do you why do you check off Caucasian? I don't are you are you treated as a Caucasian no, in, in the United not. States? Then absolutely how not. then how do you identify as a Caucasian, knowing that it's a is a social construct? It's something created by man to set people apart. I don't know. I guess I, I guess I feel sometimes that you know. I don't want to just ignore a part of me because it is a part of me. It is whether, whether people see it or not, or whether people act like it or not, I know that's, that's part of me. And so for me to just ignore that, I feel like that's wrong. Even though that part would not accept you. Like you can't go into a store and be like, I accept myself. I don't, I don't care. I don't care what society is going to say about me or they can decide whatever they want about me. But me personally, I know what I am. And I feel like just as much of black, black history is me and the, whatever my ancestors have gone through on the other side, what my ancestors have gone through still applies to me like it still makes up part of me so as much as I want to say you know um because white history isn't really a lot to be proud of (laughs) okay especially America American white history is nothing to be proud of but we have Irish ancestors they went through I, you know what? I need to learn more about it. They went through like potato famine, <laughs> potato famine and, yeah. and and whatever. And uh, okay, so we could talk about religion for uh, their search for religious freedom. So they made sacrifices and and changes to their lives to practice what they believe. And I think no matter what they believe, I think that's still a beautiful thing um, for you to want to to believe something so strongly that you're going to uproot everything and change everything to and and struggle. They struggled um different kinds of struggles, right? But I think it's still a story of perseverance and so I feel like I'm proud because I come from a black side that persevered through and is still persevering through everything and also a a Caucasian side that persevered through their own personal struggles. Yeah. So like, yeah. So it's like honoring, honoring both sides. I think I struggle a lot with like identifying with the white side, like having relationships with white family members, extended family members. Mm -hmm. Um, Just because Like, I live in such a different world. Yeah. And I, you know, I see things for a totally different color than than they do. So it's really, like, I I have the desire to 
identify with that side and like truly understand. But in the end, like I, I walk on this earth as a black man and like, I have to explain to people that I'm mixed, you know? So it's like, (laughs) it's like, like I know it inside me that I'm mixed and, but like the life that I live is, is a black male. See, and that's, that's um, where we have a lot of differences because when people look at you, they don't see a mixed man. But if people really notice and look at me, they're going to say she's mixed. And especially, and especially in the black community, they're going to be like, she's mixed. And so I go through that. And so I feel like I have to know about my, my Caucasian past, like my ancestors on that side, because if I don't, they're, they're going to call me out. Like they see that I'm mixed. And so, and I think that's, um, that's one thing that like, I think I've learned since I've moved and I've talked to more people, um, especially like black people. Um, they'll be like, Oh, okay. You're mixed. Like how, how is your family dynamic? You know? And like, I've had to really reevaluate our family dynamic and think about it like <laughs> like the the priceless face on people with who are black and they say you're mixed and I was like yeah my mom my mom's white my dad's black and they're mormon <laughs> yeah you ever do that and yeah. they're like what your dad's a black mormon yes <laughs> yeah a lot of times they'll like think about it for a second and then they'll change <laughs> the subject up. completely you know like it's too deep to address <laughs> yeah. at the moment. I like yeah. we'll have to visit that later. You know, <laughs> yes. I want to talk to you about that. And it's like, dang man, it's like this. It's like this crazy, crazy topic. A lot of times, and it was like regular for us growing up, kind of like at the beginning growing up. Like it was that's what we did because that's what everybody else did. And then when you really like are old enough to like question and like understand doctrine and all of that it's like this is weird this is <laughs> this is different there's not a lot of people like this yeah it's like <laughs> yeah for sure yeah all the time but I think like for me moving to Denver moving away from and even like going to LA on my mission and being around people and like people are mixed it's like wow um and just having the conversations made me feel a lot more comfortable with like talking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I imagine for you moving to Las Vegas, there's actually a black community here that doesn't necessarily exist in Ogden. Oh, um, not at all. Not at all. Like for me to say that 90% of my friends in Vegas are black <laughs> and it was like 1% of my friends in, in Utah were black. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it, Moving to Vegas changed so much of my perspective and it probably helped me grow. I don't see myself going through this growth, staying in Utah. I would never. Um, And it was weird at first because I had, uh, I I would make some friends, you know, and I was self-conscious and I was, I was nervous around a lot of black girls. Um, because I didn't know if I was going to be black enough for them to think that I was cool. And so 
it's crazy the struggle that I went through my whole entire life growing up saying I don't I'm not cool enough for these white girls I don't have hair like them I don't look like them and it totally morphed into the complete opposite when I went to Vegas and I was like I am I gonna speak the way that they speak or know how what they what they mean when they say different things or will I be accepted and um so I struggled with that for a while like um I ended up having a black roommate like we was kind of cool uh we went to California hung out with probably like 15 other black girls and they asked me you know like <laughs> the Mormon, the black, the Utah, all of that came up in there. They were just like wanting to know more, like asking questions. And I felt like a little uneasy about it just because like I could say something and they could be like, they could find it totally off base. Right. And so like, I felt like I had to tiptoe around it. Um, but that was probably a year and a half ago. And now standing here today, I, I don't care. I don't I really honestly don't care what people think. Um I feel like I'm going to take my experiences and they're going to shape me. Um if I'm not quote unquote black enough for you or if I'm not quote unquote white enough for you, I don't care. I am who I am and whoever wants to accept that is going to accept that. And I found people that do accept that and they appreciate my experiences and what I've gone through because it is kind of a unique experience us growing up it's unique and nobody can take away my experiences and nobody can um decide how I should feel so um I guess that growth process of just being an individual has happened since I moved here um and then also just me not trying to please people um, and worry. Like, it's it was a constant battle within myself, like, trying to act a certain way within different groups of people. And that's exhausting. I just decided that, you know what, I'm going to be me, right? And going back to what you said about family um, and trying to relate, <laughs> I get that. And... I think you do a better job than I do because there's certain family members that I really don't care to interact with at all. And I'm okay with it because I don't feel like they understand us. And I don't feel like that they, I feel like if you have family, you know, that is impacted so much by, you know, the awful things the president says or, or the current events of the world, like for me to be, I'm not a violent person, but after George Floyd, I wanted to hit somebody. Like I wanted to break something. I was like so mad. And for that to impact me the way that it does. And for a family member that's supposed to love me to respond the way that some of them have, I, I don't need that in my life. I'm okay. You can be my, you can be my aunt, uncle, grandfather. I don't care. Because I'm not at peace, but you saying what you're saying affects my peace even more. So 
I respect our family members that actually do care and try to understand and try to talk to us about different things. But the ones that don't and the ones that are completely one-sided because their husband's a cop or whatever, I ain't got time for it. A lot of us are having those conversations with friends. And um, we're like, everybody's attention is is on what's happening and the murder of George Floyd and like really putting, putting together like all of the, all of the lynchings that have happened. (laughs) Um, Especially the ones that have, that are on tape and that we can see, we can clearly see. And then we see people like not get charged or um, be found not guilty for obvious murders. Um, You know, is really built up into this, it's festered. Um, like the Langston Hughes, Langston Hughes poem, um, a dream deferred, like it's, it's it, and it's now exploded. Is it like it before? In before, it feels different. I think like white people are out there protesting and um, doing it. A lot of them are doing it peacefully, but like when we look at like the both of us grew up around Salt Lake City. <laughs> there's like no, there's like <laughs> black folks in Salt Lake City. There's some, but not enough to like causes chaos <laughs> exactly and so and so yeah like the dude with the bow and arrow and stuff like he was d- d- like destroyed by you know white folks that were standing up for for black folks and that, that's something we've never really seen before yeah it's it's it is it does feel different all of this like it's this is nationwide all the other times that people have been protesting um it's been like city, like one, that city, okay, that city's pissed off. But for it to be coast to coast, pretty much every major city, like that's crazy. And it does it does feel different. And I feel like maybe we're gaining more allies as, as time goes by with, um, with the, the ability to straight up see exactly what is happening to us. Um, because how many other times did this happen and it doesn't get recorded and we just take the word of a cop? Yeah. Like, a, like, uh, like a mod Arbery, like if there was no tape, you know, we those dudes about would be, it. You know, that father and son that murdered him would still be just chilling. Chilling. Cause somebody in that town took their word for it, you know? Right. Yeah. And I, the, the thing that makes me the most upset is people will be like, this is not necessary, you know, it's being taken care of, blah, 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 blah. Well, us as black folk, we don't have no, we don't have any trust in that it's being taken care of. First of all, he's getting third degree murder charges. This is not being taken care of, okay? So I know they just appointed a new attorney general and a lot of people have a lot of faith in him. So yeah, maybe it might go the right way. But at the same time, how long did it take to, for this man to be arrested? How come three other officers have not been arrested? It's not being taken care of. And we are freaking hurt. We're tired. It's exhausting. Like, it is so exhausting to, like, have a good day and then see something on the news and you're just like, damn, that day is ruined, you know? And then you have to think about it and you have to go to work and you still have to carry on like a normal person. Um... But I feel like 
our family is getting killed. Like that, that's how I feel. Like I'm, I'm literally mourning the death of a stranger because I'm over it. I'm over it. Like literally Ahmad, that could have been you. And that like the fact that even people that I know can't even have that empathy. Like what if it was you? Okay, what would people on my story, on my timeline that know me, they know that I love my freaking brother, what would they say? Does it take me or you or somebody that is so connected or or that they actually know or have met for them to give a shit? Why? Why does it take that? Why? How come you can't care without it being somebody you know? How come you can't speak up on injustice without it being someone you know? How come people who kill can't be arrested or or tried without us getting upset about it? Why does it take social media outroar? Why does it take protests? Why does it take this for our country to do right? It's not right. If, yeah, a lot of black people are arming themselves now, right? So a policeman or a white man can shoot somebody because they're afraid because of what they look like. Well, I'm afraid of a white man. Can I shoot him be okay? Because I was afraid? Or is it a double standard that society has? And we all know it's a double standard. Because if... Our dad was out walking and he was armed and some white man came harassing him and he was scared and he shot him. We all know what would happen. But if it was the other way around, dang, it's if it's videotaped or not. Yeah, like it just depends. <laughs> like if it's, it depends on the videotape, video evidence, Karen's out oh, there. Oh, Karen. But you have in the in Central Park, <laughs> Colin calling the cops on a black man who's bird watching it's just like a it's an amazing contrast <laughs> at the same time like for all of this to happen because you can because you can then see that you know she's actually calling a lynch mob on yes. this man who's bird watching and he is asking her to follow the rules of the park which is simple like put your leash on a dog as though that's really like the rights of her dog are above a man's right because he's a black man and like her conversation with the police is like an african-american man that's like her focus that's the first thing you want to say and make sure that they know he's black and she's and she's so-called liberal right like she's a liberal white white woman and so it's like you know voted for obama and all that like you know i, I feel like in this country you know there's a little bit more there's a lot more investigation about race going on right now and like white white people checking their privilege and like accepting that white privilege is a thing and you know i think it's a really good shift but i you know i feel like there's a lot more there's definitely a lot more work that has to be done but this feels different this feels different than than other movements um before like when these tragedies have happened um in the black community you know i often feel like it's you know the black community mourning it alone um Mm -hmm. And then some white allies, like, you know, jumping in and 
providing support but like now it feels like actually white folks are just like fed up too and tired of seeing black men getting killed and they're feeling some sort of way about it and they're starting to like activate and move um and it's about time yeah i think it'll take time for us to like become more united in in what you know the way that we protest and the way that we um the way that we act um but this is a great start and if buildings need to be burnt down to make it happen do it because lives are more important than than these businesses which will have insurance claims and stuff like that even there's some business owners that are like yeah fuck it burn it burn my shit down because this isn't right so and you know we'll rebuild absolutely but you can't rebuild a life that's the that's the exact point that I've been trying to make like it's a life (laughs) yeah Target can restock Target can remodel yeah that'd be cool (laughs) so all right amazing thank you Mo Cliff for joining us on the podcast Mix Jen um so Mo Cliff tell the world what you're up to and where they can find you uh, y'all can find me on Instagram at mocliff08. So that's M O C L I 2 F's 08. And you can also, let's see, where am I? Where else am I? I don't tweet. Snapchat. <laughs> oh, Snapchat? You want some snappy snaps? TikTok. Uh, <laughs> no, nah, I don't TikTok. I'm not young enough for this. Um, Snapchat at it's mocliff. So. Cool. Yeah. All right, y'all. So it's been we'll, a pleasure. Yeah, we'll leave it at that, man. Um, I'm glad, happy to be able to introduce y'all to my dope sister. And we have very different perception, you know, perspectives, but a lot of it's pretty similar too. And you know, I think that shows the complexity that being racially ambiguous or mixed comes with. Like your life is just different based on the experiences that you have. And so, yeah. So. Yeah, let's continue these mixed conversations and we'll see you next time on the Mixed Gen Podcast. Peace. Black Lives Matter. Let's stay connected. Follow us on Instagram at Mixed Gen. That's M-I-X-D-G-E-N. Or go to our website at MixedGen.com. Thank you for listening. This has been a Mixed Gen production.